Captain's Log Supplemental. After witnessing the awesome power of Hester Delt's mustache and Commander Riker's new beard, I think I'm going to grow a goatee. Welcome to Re-Engage, where we return to sci-fi show we all have a strong connection to, Star Trek The Next Generation. We re-engage with the series one episode at a time and reconsider Star Trek from a new perspective. I'm very excited to start off the second season talking about the first episode, The Child, with my wonderful cultural bridge crew joining me. Let's say hi to my friends on this journey. Jimmy, how are you doing on this fine night? I am wonderful. I'm excited about season two. Uh, and to measure on the Alzheimer fulcrum, did I never see season one and I just forgot them all? Or am I just uh, getting old and not being able to retain anything? I, column A, column B, let's mix them all together. And that's what Reengage is all about. Yep. <laughs> Eric Gratton, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I'm just hoping we get an answer to Jimmy's question. I, I think maybe he's uh, teasing that he has some nuggets of information to share about whether he does currently have some sort of mental deterioration happening before our very eyes. Well, I'm excited for uh, uh, Dr. Pulaski to fix that mental uh, thing as well. Kate Yeager, how are you doing? I'm so good. It's so good to see all of you again and your shining faces. And uh, to, to enter into this new world brought to us by Riker's beard. Oh, the good times are rolling already. It's so glorious. Uh, there are a lot of new roles on the Enterprise in this episode a lot more than i remember right i didn't realize they were all introduced in this first episode of the second season jordy is the chief engineer wolf wharf is the full security chief guinan is a bartender for something called 10 forward which is introduced for the first time here dr pulaski we even get miles o'brien as transporter chief in this episode for the first time he was a transporter operator i think before but he's the chief in this one which is crazy and we have also new roles here on re-engage for you this second season. Uh, a little bit about the format. Each week you'll get the culture report from 1988 from Kate Yeager. Eric will give us a lowdown on the notable extras and guest stars and all of the fun uh, movies that he can remember that they were in sometimes. Jimmy will provide us with trivia and details about the, uh, the episode of Star Trek uh, from, from lore, but also from the world. And I'll be giving you the world report on uh, current events and sports from the time. Basically, these were the kind of things that we gravitated towards talking about the most anyway. And so we're going to be giving those each week for you here. And I'll start this introduction by saying that The Child premiered on November 21st, 1988. And a lot of things happened over that summer uh, since uh, the season one finale, The Neutral Zone, uh, was broadcast in May. That's six months, almost six months exactly uh, since uh, the finale went. Uh, and some of the big things, Mike Tyson was crowned undisputed heavyweight champion. Uh, he fought Michael Spinks on June 27th. 91 seconds later, uh, he, Michael Spinks was knocked out and Tyson was catapulted uh, to even more uh, fame and stardom after he was uh, in Mike Tyson's punch out in, in 1987. But many say this was his peak, but I'll say it was in, it was in Mike Tyson's punch out. Um, do you guys remember Mike Tyson, how big of a deal he was in 1988? 
Oh, yeah. In fact, going back to the pre-show uh, ramble when Kate was talking about forensics, I also was on speech team and uh, a young man in extemporaneous speech drew Mike Tyson out of the hat and gave uh, an eloquent five minutes on why he was the greatest boxer of all time. Ooh, yeah. I'm impressed yeah. by that. Hell yeah. Yeah, Mike Tyson was enormous, even in you know a stupid small town Kansas. Not that uh, everyone in small town Kansas was stupid, just me. Um, <laughs> but absolutely with Mike Tyson's punch out and, you know, heavyweight boxing was much more of a everybody knew about it uh, situation than it seems to be uh, right now, at least among the people that I, I pay most attention to. I, I hear more about professional wrestling again uh, these days than I do professional <laughs> boxing. That has come back for sure. Uh, but yeah, it was it was much more a cultural thing uh, watching these these fights. Uh, I personally didn't like watching them, but it was just it was, it was in this, it was in everything. And then also then at the latter half of 1988, you get all the uh, or the beginning of the controversies surrounding Mike Tyson. He was in a car crash in in September. Robin Givens divorces him and sues him at, at this time, like leading up to the premiere of this. Uh, we don't yet quite have more terrible accusations yet about Mike Tyson, but they're about to come. So again, maybe say this was his peak uh, and everyone talked about it then. Uh, the 1988 Summer Olympics occurred in October, actually, uh, September, October of this year. And so many amazing things happened that you like just, oh, that happened during this Olympics too. This was Flojo uh, winning and having a great career there. Greg Luganis hitting his head on oh, the diving sh- board happened in this Olympics. Poor Mario Lopez. <laughs> Mario Lopez hit his head in this Olympics. Who played Greg Luganis in oh. the uh, TV movie? <laughs> <laughs> they don't I mean, all. They don't all land those jokes. Slater. <laughs> Some of them float forever. <laughs> Sorry, audience. <laughs> Uh, but this is also the uh, Olympics when Ben Johnson uh, got the world record for sprinting, but then was disqualified like within, you know, a, a few weeks after this was all happening. It was all during the Dude, Olympics that uh, and then um, the award actually eventually ended up going to Carl Lewis uh, with a world record of 9.92 uh, seconds for the uh, 100 meter. Oh, split. So, so insane. A lot of stuff happening there. Um, Kate, do you have any memories of the Seoul Olympics? Absolutely. Um, I I can't believe those all happened at the same time, though. That was because uh, the 84 Olympics, I believe, was Los Angeles. And Mary um, Lou Retton. What was that? Wasn't that Mary Lou Retton in 1984? Yo, sorry. Yes. yes right. I thought you said Britain and I was like, wrong <laughs> place to <laughs> cheer for. Um, no, but that I was watching that when that dive happened. Um, I and saw that relatively live. Uh, and remember being just terrified. I mean, oh, God. I mean, even now when you look at it, it's just, it looks like, oh, my God, he's dead. Like, there's no way that person is not, you know, or at least, you know, uh, paralyzed from the neck down. Yeah. Um, so that was but The visceral. crazy thing, because like, I remember that that crash. It was, his name was Greg. So, of course, I remember Greg Luganis. Uh, because of that. And uh, he he went on to win like the gold medals. Like he was actually fine. He, it, it was not a serious injury at all. Right. Uh, and it that, I mean, that, but that's the part that you remember. It's like, ah, oh, God, it was like that crack. And the, the, the crowd was like, ooh, like immediately too. And that was almost made it worse. The fact that there was people witnessing it. 
in, in baseball news, the Red Sox, my, my lovely Red Sox, were swept by the Oakland A's again. Dennis Eckersley saved all four games of that championship series. Uh, what a jerk. He's now the announcer for the Red Sox. So I don't know. I haven't really forgiven him. Hey, man. Fuck the A's. Yeah, right? they're going to lose their stadium. There's your revenge. There you go. They're moving to Vegas. <laughs> Everybody's moving to Vegas. Hey, standard of living is quite high for a low investment. I recommend. <laughs> that's Eric's buy of the week, everybody. <laughs> house in Vegas. Oh, that has got to be a new segment. We're just going to make Planet Money now, right? Re- Eric's re- buy of the money. week. <laughs> uh, but the way A's eventually... A's and Eckersley eventually got their comeuppance, though, because the Los Angeles Dodgers beat them four games to one in the World Series this year. Most famously, this is Kirk Gibson with his bum hamstring. He pulled his hamstring in the championship series, beating the Red Sox, and uh, comes in for a pinch hit home run, bottom of the ninth, uh, against Dennis Eckersley. He used to be a Tiger. Yes, yeah, big time Tiger. And then he's got that series with the Tigers, and then clutch like pulling that he does when he rounds second base still is a classic moment in sports. It's pretty iconic. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Oral Horsheiser wins the unanimous NL Cy Young Award for them. I always just love that there was a baseball player by the name of Oral. <laughs> baseball and Bibles. <laughs> I don't get it, but it's amazing. Uh, and perhaps some of the biggest news uh, before I throw it to you, Kate, is George H.W. Bush wins the presidential election against Democrat Michael Dukakis. I have bad things about that actually happening, but it was good for uh, at least Saturday Night Live skits uh, that I remember quite fondly during that fall uh, uh, with the, you know, the whole Dana Carvey bit. But I might be taking some thunder from you, Kate. Uh, So, yeah, why don't you give us your report on what's happening in the culture world at this time in 1988? Thank you so much. Uh, I wish I had done an in-depth like where we where we were coming from because we have lost a lot of great culture uh, in the six months between these two things. Um, but I couldn't be bothered to do that extensive of a research. So <laughs> there it is. Oh yeah. Uh, however, we have a fantastic song at number one. Uh, Your love is like bad medicine. Bad medicine is what I need. Oh, shake it up just like bad medicine. Great no doctor that can cure my disease. Yes, Bon Jovi. Oh, so good, New Jersey. You can't so even hear that song without a stink face on your face. No, right? I think no, all four of us are like. <laughs> Everybody looks there... as I age. My stink face looks more and more like a vampire from the Buffy series. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's true. <laughs> it is. It is true. Cast this man. <laughs> just the wrinkles line up just wonderfully. <laughs> Uh, in the movie world, a very, uh, uh, like a movie that was so important to kids at our time came out, and it is a movie I have never seen but the land before time was the number one movie of this uh of this time period and i i just have never seen it and i know it is so important to the like emotional and uh psychological growth of so many people my age eric kate you do not have to watch all 14 but you have to watch (laughs) at least the first seven (laughs) there's so many yeah 
How many lands before time can there be? Well, there's only been time for about 200,000 years, and before that, there's another, like, 13.5 billion years. Come on, Kate. All the time happened before time. <laughs> there's a lot of lands before time. There is. Lands cheap I, before time. I will tell you, I, I think I might have seen it once when I was a kid, but I have literally no memories of it other than the poster and the characters. Like, okay. I, I'm with you, Kate. I don't I don't think I ever saw it all the way through. Because I feel like there's like a, it, it, there's a death in it very early on that is very much like a Bambi death where it like rocked a generation. I mm. could be wrong. Uh, I'm making this up. Um, I, I, <laughs> I've been I was in high school, so fuck that movie. Yeah, right. Yeah, this kid's <laughs> Well, right. I mean, I was 12, so it definitely would have been a movie that would have been, uh, oh, that's a baby movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to see a baby movie. In the meantime, I can't recommend both of the crudes highly enough i watched them during <laughs> quarantine quite quite stunning well animated uh, now, movies are very different now that's for it's sure it's true it's true it's true um and uh on tv this very week uh that this uh show premiered mystery science theater 3000 <sighs> debuted on ktma in minneapolis minnesota its wow. very first iteration Holy before shit. it became what we know and love today that is awesome. Yeah, it was a tiny, uh, tiny show to start with, just in one little market, and then uh, those uh, those um, episodes started to get passed around. And the next thing you know, it's getting picked up by Comedy Central, and then it gets picked up by the Sci Fi Channel, and then the next thing you know, uh, it's on Netflix. And as far as I can tell, it looks like they have successfully um, campaigned for yet another season from from everything that I was reading. So yeah, Jonah Ray is now the the, the yes. host, but it all started but in nineteen eighty eight. Eighty eight, and I will say that I was an early adopter. Um, not not in the early eighties or the late eighties, as it were, but I remember you know sort of in the early nineties, my friends and I started passing those. You know, it was like, oh, have you seen this show? It's awesome. You know, it's blah 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 blah. Well, I'll say that I was an early adopter, too, but I'll be lying. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it before it was cool, is what J.K. was just trying to say. Yes, no big deal, you guys. Um, Joel Hodgson's my dad. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) I saw Nirvana in 1989, and they were amazing. It's no big deal. (laughs) No, but I mean, it's one of those shows that was definitely, like, for my friend group. You know, huge. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Until waiting for Guffman came along, and then that was all we wanted to talk about. <laughs> but from 1988 to 19 what 92, all we talked about was MST3K. I love that show. It's it's there's so many great uh, moments from it. I still quote it where I'm like, all right, wake up from something like oh, football practice, and no one understands. It's it's a reference that no one gets. Still, even people who have seen the show uh, in 1988 still don't get that. Much like my Mario Lopez reference. (laughs) These are badges of shame that we will wear forever. But the child is not a badge of shame. It is a very good Star Trek episode. Uh, We'll get into that now because it premiered, as we said, in uh, November uh, 21st, 1988. It was written by Jason Summers and John Poville. Uh, they wrote the original script uh, that, and, and uh, maybe Jimmy, you'll be talking about this some more, but it was a phase two script, uh, which was the television series that led to the development of uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. They were going to do a new series, but they ended up just making a movie instead. But they had this 
a, a script ready to go. Maurice Harley picked it up, finished it. Uh, and uh, Jason Summers had a pretty good career. John Povel, though, uh, actually, you uh, he went on to uh, write and produce for Sliders. Um, but he's also notable for the screenwriter of Total Recall. Nice. Ooh, oh, yeah. Which is pretty cool. That's one of my favorites. It's a good one. 1990 action film. Eyeballs exploding everywhere. Yeah. I was China. <laughs> I love Sharon Stone that. getting her butt yeah. kicked, kicking it's butt. So uh, good. We still say in the Jaeger household, get ready for a surprise. Like <laughs> <laughs> maybe weekly. <laughs> That's perfect. That sounds right. Uh, Rob Bowman returns to direct this. He directed many of the first season already, and he was able to use a lot of really great camera movement and kind of blow some of the uh, uh, bigger shots kind of out of the water here to wow people. And he even said that that's what he he kind of had a license to go do that. And so, Jimmy, you want to give us some more information on on, on the making of this episode? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, just in the, the series, the second season in general, so... Uh, just starting off, it ended its first season, its first run, uh, the first season as the first hour long series in syndication uh, to become number one. And the only two shows in syndication that beat it were uh, Wheel of Fortune uh, and Jeopardy. I remember that uh, being a big deal, too. Yeah. So it made syndication uh, before this. There weren't a lot of shows that that went this route of syndication. So it was sort of a, the, the first drop in the bucket of, oh, we can actually make advertising dollars on shows that are being run on syndication, which is, you know, syndication is when a show doesn't go to a network. It's distributed to whatever network wants to pick it up. So uh, Star Trek could have been on any number of different stations across the country at different times because they could do with it what they wanted. Um, and it was a, it was sort of a new model in that for, for a TV show, the, like, Wheel of Fortune game shows were, uh, it was sort of their bread and butter. Yeah, what's up, Eric? Yeah, in Kansas City, this was on an independent station that wasn't affiliated with one of the three major networks at the time, or Fox. So it was on Channel 62, which didn't get affiliated with one of those until much later. Yeah. Uh, and that was super cool, like because it was so much higher budget than you'd expect from a station that up until then was either doing local programming or right. reruns of old shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then um, the strike that we talked about a lot uh, towards the end of our second uh, first season of the podcast, uh, it really had an impact on the second season. And Greg's already alluded to it. Um, one, the season was uh, shortened from 26 shows to 22. So thankfully for our listeners, they only have 22 episodes of us this season. Uh, and but but what it did was um, they didn't have the writers to rely on to get the season going. So they had to dip into scripts that were already out there. And like uh, um, Greg alluded to, the, the first uh, scripts that they uh, dipped into was, was Star Trek II, the series. So in the very early 80s, they planned to bring the entire original cast of Star Trek back to reboot the series with the exception of Spock, who's in uh, having some disputes with both Gene Roddenberry and uh, Paramount. Uh, and Paramount was actually trying to start their own uh, television network, which they were calling PTS, Paramount Television Service. Uh, both Star Trek to the series taped, even though they wrote a full season of scripts they hired out the whole cast, so they had contracts. 
They hired out the makeup artists, the set designers. They even started to build uh, the sets for Star Trek, which went on to become the sets for Star Trek, the motion picture. So they were very serious and dedicated to this series happening. It tanked, uh, as did um, Paramount Television Services. But as we all know, within about eight years, um, Paramount Television Services became UPN. Uh, and UPN launched the very first Star Trek series, Voyager, on its uh, its network. Um, and then we got a whole bunch of characters and stuff, which uh, we've already talked about. Uh, we see Pulaski and we let Eric dive into to her. Uh, and then lastly, um, in, in one of the scenes where Wesley's talking to one of these brand new characters, we hear uh, the star when they're looking out from the window in Tin Ford. Epsilon Indy, and this is uh, a pretty fun little drop because Epsilon Indy uh, happens to be the home to some extinct pirates from And the Children Shall Lead from season three, episode four of the original series. Ooh, cool. uh, it also happens to be the home star of the Andorans. Uh, so oh, one cool. of our season one uh, guest stars uh, in Andor, no one. And uh, so it was a little fun drop there that they just try to tie in on purpose to to string it into things that have already happened. So, uh, Greg, I'll let you take it back and, and steer us forward. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so the the, the child has uh, some, some pretty hefty guest stars, uh, some of which are you know regulars for the course of this season. Uh, and, uh, Eric, do you want to talk about, uh, uh, Dr. Pulaski is a good um, place to start? I want to start with Seymour fucking Cassell. If mm. I may. Yes. <laughs> if I may, y'all. Go for it. Please. Um, because I was thinking about him, uh, particularly when Jimmy was talking about the fact that these were in syndication, which is, you know, they sold it kind of market by market. So each, each town uh that that would show it that had several different tv stations one of them would choose to show it at some point in the week at some time right uh and wh whoever uh won the bid that's who would show it and it, it it reminds me of the john cassavetes model uh how he distributed his films you know the stories peter falk used to tell uh about them just kind of going from town to town uh, buying out a theater and selling it themselves, you know, and, and in that way, showing it to a great many people that might not have seen it if they had to sell it the way the studios did. Anyway, it, it reminded me of the same thing. And Seymour Cassell became a, a independent film star, unlike kind of anyone you've uh, ever seen before, you know, a couple hundred credits on IMDb. He became a huge friend of John Cassavetes uh, when he was at the Actors studio and then uh, in John Cassavetes first movie uh, Shadows he was in it and was a camera op and then in the second movie wow. um, Faces he got his first Oscar nomination which is just incredible because he he was in so many movies we just lost him about uh, two years ago uh, he's great in The Killers which of course was Reagan's last movie where they let him kill Lee Marvin for some reason uh, but that's one of the best movies ever made for TV. They ended up releasing it theatrically, but there were so many movies like that in the 60s, you know, Fail Safe or uh, 
uh, 12 Angry Men. It's just the best move, best decade for TV movies. But then he was in Killing of a Chinese Bookie, Opening Night, all the Cassavetes stuff, you know, along with Peter Falk and Jenna Rollins. Then he was on TV with him a ton of times too. But I mean, if you haven't seen Trees Lounge, he just did everything. Beer League, Tracy Takes On, White Fang, Dick Tracy. You know, he's still got, I think, an upcoming one to be released, even though he passed away a couple years ago. So Seymour Cassell, incredible. Jimmy, why don't you say whether you have any favorite Seymour Cassell moments? I don't, other than this one. <laughs> hey, He's done so much. I can't, it's just so Jimmy. much for me. No. You know, like it's so, he, no, his it's career, like you said, is so nebulous and so far reaching. It's like saying, you know, what, what's your, your, your favorite movie of all time? You're like, well, today it's this. It's like, it, there's just so much. Absolutely. And I don't have like, I, while you were talking, I really was like, I was like, Eric, Eric watches so many things. It, it's like, you're like a person who will eat anything. And because <laughs> of that, and I mean that as a compliment, because of that, you know so many good foods. Like just being able to talk about the 60s was a great movie for television movies. That alone is a podcast episode, like the television movies of the 60s. It's like oh, incredible. I wouldn't even, because to me, I'm like, ah, uh, you know, I want, I want something fresh. <laughs> well, sure, but to me it is. If I haven't seen it, it's I know, fresh, but right? that's, I think it's incredible that you can have seen that, that you have the context of, oh, these are, television movies from the 60s well it's so um, cool because you know, it's, it's pretty impressive I in, think. in the 60s you had a lot of of tv series that were doing uh, tv versions of like broadway plays and so you'd get uh, theater directors go into tv go into film so you have uh tv movies in the 60s by john Frankenheimer. you know you have uh some of the you know stanley kubrick some of the some of the best uh, directors of all time uh came out of you know tv movies and then the, in the 80s and 90s they came out of music videos and now they're coming out of social media <laughs> and who knew and, kubrick you know. did uh partridge family that, <laughs> that's a fantastic one there's the bus is just going through the air tumbling and turning with with torrents going but seymour cassell for me i will always remember him from the wes anderson movies he's in absolutely all of them it feels like uh but you know most for me is life aquatic where that mustache just fits Mm -hmm. He's got that mustache and everything, and he's got the little uh, wool cap on. Uh, right. So good. Well, and um, Rushmore as the dad is what uh, sticks out for me in the Wes Anderson stuff. So good. Um, but it's great to see him here, and he actually kind of has a pretty pretty decent presence as uh, uh, Lester Halt. No, Hester Delt. Hester, Hester Delt. Delt. <laughs> which is Lester a very Holt. funny, weird name, but I love it. Uh, okay, yeah, and then we get uh, not only do we have... Uh, uh, Dr. Pulaski, who we already mentioned, but Whoopi Goldberg joins the cast as Guinan. Uh, there's a story to tell behind that, right, Jimmy? Yeah, so Whoopi had been a longtime fan of the Star Trek world. She had credited uh, the character of um, Uhura as one of the reasons why she went into uh, the creative arts. And Whoopi Goldberg at this time in 1988 was a... <laughs> was a very big celebrity. Uh, I mean, we're talking about all the movies, Jumpin' Jack Flash, uh, The Fish at Save Philadelphia. I mean, Eric can speak to it better than I. Like, all these great movies. She had just done Comic Relief, too, with, like, Billy Crystal and Robin Williams. Like, that was big. Yeah, a big-name person. So she had put it out there that she wanted to be on uh, Star Trek The Next Generation uh, and had even, you know, reached out and, and the... the the creative team was 
they shoved it aside, not because they thought Whoopi Goldberg wasn't good enough, because they thought there's no way this star wants to be on our TV show. Uh, and finally, she got a hold of them uh, and and told them point blank, like, listen, I know I'm not a blonde bombshell, but I have something to offer. And they're like, oh, you really do want to be on this show? <laughs> Absolutely. And they immediately then made way for her. And and like you said at the, the top of the show, they dropped her in immediately. They're like, not only are we going to bring her in, we're not going to waste any fucking time. Whoopi Goldberg is on the show, people. Yeah. Uh, and, well, and that's something I was thinking about with Seymour Cassell. You know, right away at the at the beginning, you have the, certainly the biggest star they've had on yet as as just a guest star with no... You know, previous connection to the series, and then how are you going to top that? You go to Diana Moldar, who is the you know former president of you know the, right. the producing group behind the Emmys, the Academy of right. Television Arts and Sciences, and and a huge soap star and all this. All right, fine. And then how are you going to top that? One of the three or four biggest movie stars in the world at the time, you know, from Color Purple, <laughs> Jimmy mentioned Jumpin' Jack Flash, Burglar. Her first movie was called Citizen, which is an independent, like, uh, staple, if you if you get the chance to track it down. It's expressionistic and improvisational, and she is just clearly a star in it. Uh, not to mention, you know, you were talking about her stand-up stuff. So, like, having all these people in the same episode is just crazy, like you were saying. And it gets, it gets, I love how they're introduced because it's not done. Oh, and now it is time to let's talk about this character. It's done in a very good way. We'll get to that more. Um, but I want to say that uh, the child uh, is set at a moment in time, <laughs> which is uh, started 42073.1. Oh. That yes. is it. That's what I was looking up, he which is meaningless information. <laughs> but it feels like I needed to get it right. Uh, it starts with a very wonderful, sweeping kind of moments in this uh, beginning bit. Uh, the problem that is uh, addressed from the beginning is uh, there is a planet nearby that is suffering from a plague. I think they, uh, they call it plasma plague. And they are going to take some samples of viruses uh from one area to another they need to use some uh power that the chief engineer uh who is now uh lieutenant commander jory laforge um has 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 designed an amazing containment uh field to be used and uh that's that's all the setup you need uh and then they go with impulse power because they can't use the warp engines because they need the energy uh to create uh this containment field and what I love about this opening is that I said it's almost very cinematic. You get like these sweeping camera shots. You get uh, uh, shuttles leaving uh, docking bays, which is always sexy. Uh, you get the Excelsior class <laughs> ship, uh, which is uh, That's right. mentioned nice. in. They never say it's an Excelsior class, but I, I mean, I'm a Star Trek nerd, so I can tell that you Excelsior. know it. If you know Star Trek, you know it. And if you didn't know it was an Excelsior class, stop listening now. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't stop listening. No, no, don't stop. We can get. Sorry, moving. I apologize. <laughs> you can start listening off. again now. <laughs> um, you know, and they get little small introductions visually from each of the characters. You get Riker's beard gets a dramatic entrance, even right. As a fellow 
person along with uh, William Riker, whose face goes right from cheeks into neck with, without stopping for a jaw. I love the sculpted beard that he has that, that just gives himself a damn strong jawline where it didn't otherwise exist. And I've always been such a fan. Well done, William Riker. Mm. What do you it's think? just fucking sexy. It is. It Like, it is sexy. And look, I know that I kept wanting to take, like, little baths in that little chin dimple of his. But now I just want to roll around and dry off in that beard. <laughs> what? Yeah, we're going to keep with that. Let's keep with that. I'm a big fan of the imagery. Thank you. My the Picard and Crusher posters are very jealous. I right know, I know. I have to say that my um, my love of Riker came later in 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 life. Uh, mm. He's the older yeah. man, of course. He's the older man. Yeah, as you reengaged. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a friend who has a big bushy beard. Uh, Ian Savage, you know Eric Grattan, who just loves having a big bushy beard. He thinks the biggest beard is the better one, and he always makes fun of me because like, ah, oh, your beard is so small. I'm like, this is Riker. <laughs> This is a Riker beard. This is not old man, you know, Rip Van Winkle beard. That's not what I'm about. I'm about Commander Riker. And I didn't even realize how much of an impact his beard had on me until I started to have to defend my facial hair. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, to, to throw it to Wesley Crusher, this this end, uh, camera movement ends on like a very nice kind of glam shot of him at the console. In the his- gray outfit. Yes, I love that gray outfit. It leaves. Uh, it, it's got nice lines. It's got. It, there's not the, all the confusing colors, which we learned last time what they were all for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know what symbolically it means. If the last time he was the combination of, you know, science and uh, and uh, ops. I don't know. Uh, what what is he now that he is He's gray? A well, this isn't official, Kate. It's not official, but I'm going to okay. make a canon. The gray one means because uh, he's not real. He's not a oh! real officer. So oh, like, it's exactly. just, uh, you know, it's a it's that nebulous color. Nebulous. It doesn't mean anything. Got it. What but if he's he actually a, combat. a hologram? He's, he's a, hologram. a hologram. Okay, right. That that actually makes sense. But he has that's a crosshatch for the first time. What does that yeah, mean? That's why he's so special. He's he able to does... talk by touching his chest now. He couldn't oh. do that before. This is like the first. This is, I think, the first he's episode connected. where he's connected. Oh, he's they finally gave. They finally like got him on the family cell phone plan. <laughs> I will say to, to go back a moment. I thought the shuttle was going to hit the garage door this time. That door was slow opening and that shuttle was coming. So like there you... is trust among programs and algorithms in this ship. There's amazing desktop animation that that happens when they're talking about um what Jordy has created that had to have been motherfucking cutting edge in 1988 because it's like coming off of the the table and oh, it's yeah, all three-dimensional yeah. and shit and it's like oh it's so good yeah it looks kind of like the star wars uh 3d yep. chess yeah. yes definitely improved uh you know with special effects it's crazy how much a year probably did change a lot but they like like i said they 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 spore, uh, spared no expense because they were like we got to get a good episode out the door they waited so long they didn't start again until november uh, and so Rob still Bowman, they had to give a little physical tiny model to picard to really get the old man interested 
like I need I need something tangible. <laughs> Look what he made. He's so excited about it. And then at the end of this teaser, we get this little flash of light uh, uh, that uh, um, moves and enters the uh, uh, the Enterprise uh, data and penetrates. You can say penetrates the Enterprise. Penetrates the Enterprise uh, data. I actually, it's one of my favorite uh, actor uh, extra moments in this episode that goes through different quarters, and you see people waking up. You see bald chested dude. Right. Uh, well, I almost did the the the, the opening for, from that dude. I don't know why. Very not, the... by the way, bald chested. Oh, very bald chested. Bare chested. But the very first note I typed God. in was uh, the floating like hovers over hairy chest man. Do you think they auditioned chests and they <laughs> they rejected ones that were less hairy <laughs> and went with this guy? Then there's two extras walking down the hallway and the point of light goes past them it goes up into a console and you get that great like well i don't know and they both shrug and i'm like kudos to you it's such a small moment but it just totally sells it i'm uh, sure it's not a crystalline entity <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i guess we don't need to report that to anyone it was just a weird thing <laughs> and the data is like there's a random energy fluctuation and riker's like i don't know let me know if it happens again I don't care. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we get the uh, the 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 actual scene that involves penetration, penetration. for lack of a better oh, word. Oh, no, yeah. there's, there's no, no better word. Yeah, I, I don't know. like it. It's weird, right? And, I, and now I'm it's thinking about is, having yeah. this light go underneath Deanna Troy's. No, covers. I hate it. No, I know the way it. The, the it's so creepy. It's yeah. so. Uh, yeah. She was violating. No, was, I know. I know. <laughs> let me point out to you. Can you draw a picture? I get it. <laughs> Hold on, let me get a picture. <laughs> I was watching the show. Uh, <laughs> Who is the guy that devised the, the flashlight thing going underneath the 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 curtain? That's I don't know, Sam Raimi. Like every there are so many directors who've done that shit over the years. <laughs> I love it. I was just imagining it being on a little fish line and they're pulling it from yeah. one hand. And that's how it ends. We don't know what's going to happen. Credits go. Is that a go. Batman reference in there? <laughs> yes, there was. No, that's um, Jurassic Park. That's uh, Oh, that's right. That's Wayne Knight. Yeah. Anywho, back back to this fake show that it's we're doing. Sounded very Joker-ridory. Uh, the captain uh, says, uh, has the doctor checked in? Uh, you know, has, has anyone seen what's going on? And there's such a great moment. Yes, Kate. No, I know. You're going to get to that moment and it's so good. Yes. But I have to protest. Protest. I protest the way that they handle this whole Dr. Pulaski switchover. Okay. Because as a, as a child who was very fond of Dr. Crusher, this is just... There's nothing. There's no, uh, there's no sort of like, they, they randomly kind of later on say, oh, yes, well, she is now the head of medical, but they say it like under his breath as he's walking. There's just no, I, I felt like the rug was pulled out from underneath me as young 12 year old, you know, where I was like, wait, what are you talking about a doctor? There's already a doctor. Where is the doctor that I love? What are you talking about this doctor? And I love Approaching Pulaski now as a woman in my 40s, because I'll tell you, I hated Pulaski to start with. Um, and I have a really different view of her 
watching this time, um, which I'll get to. But I do want to stand on record as saying I think it's just kind of it's rude to have handled it that way. It's it's very much like forget the past. It never existed. There's that awkward scene in the turbo lift, too, with uh, Wesley Crusher and Captain Picard. You want to talk about that? Uh, Well, I mean, other than that, it's just the most awkward scene uh, on the planet. Uh, (laughs) Right. It's just, yeah, it's just very, uh, it's, well, it's like being in an elevator, for one thing. It's a wonka uh, Because no one knows where to look. Um, Right. But yeah, it's just the way, the way it just, um, I just love, well, it is. Wesley goes onto that, onto the lift. Uh, like he kind of bursts through at the end and then stays there just to make Picard uncomfortable. Right. So I'm all about it. I am all about it. he had no reason it. to be there. He was no going somewhere else and then came back on, which for me, I was like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. I, I was so annoyed. It's like, now we got to hear you talk. Stop it. <laughs> I got enough going on right now with this rude doctor who doesn't report in she's replacing your mother who was perfectly good and now i don't have her i got this person now you want to talk get out of my turbulent lift, kid <laughs> that's the entire energy yeah totally yeah. and but, plus exposition lots and lots of exposition <laughs> yes but i mean even the way they like at the very beginning they just casually you know say uh dr pulaski's shuttle is leaving she is now entered you know like it's there there's there's all these opportunities to talk about, or even in a captain's log, we're welcoming a new medical officer since our last medical officer has left. You know, like some sort of something. Um, it's not quite as bad as killing off, um, you know, Tasha within the first 30 right. seconds of battle, but it feels, and knowing that Gates got fired, uh, which is the sort of standard, like at the time they let her say that she was was also unhappy with the way her character was being created. Um, but, but you know, it's fairly well known that she was fired for that. It just feels like an extra little, fuck you. Right. You had, you had no impact on this show. Right. They thought that they could just write her out and no one would care. And boy, were they wrong. They were wrong. They were very wrong. So they get their comeuppance. At so the expense of somebody like, comeuppance. Yeah, I love comeuppance, but at the expense of, like you said, Kate, somebody that when I first met this character, I loathed her. Yeah. And after my first rewatching, I already have a different opinion. Of oh, my God. So Agreed. different. Right? I love her. It's mo- I think it's her. mostly due to this setup, right? The fact that she's not reporting. She's not She's not Gates McFadden. She's not Beverly Crusher. And we were all wanting her. You know, we loved that Crusher character. She's, you're set up not to like Pulaski, but the way it's 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 gone. And they go to that 10 forward scene asking Guinan where, where she is. So that's our first kind of introduction to Guinan there and, and Picard. <laughs> yeah, which, which, also feels a little, which also feels a little gaslighty where it's like, what, you didn't know about Guinan? We all know about Guinan and 10 Forward. We <laughs> right. spend all our time there, yeah. what? Right? A bigger and star I, than anybody else who's ever been on this show. Why don't, uh, let's move right on. And they don't even really establish what 10 Forward is until you show up and you're like, oh, it's a bar. I didn't know that why they would be upset that she was in there. Like it, That it, was, that it's is on. a great moment, Greg, that you were trying to get to earlier, which is when they're trying to find Pulaski and they ask the computer where she is and the computer says that she's in 10 forward. The look that Picard and Riker give is mwah, It is classic. a great acting moment because it's it's like three beats longer than it could be, right? Like they, yeah. he, they, they hold it for a long time and then he's like, well, 
all right then. <laughs> all that's missing is one of them very slowly lifting a pantomime drink to his lips and going like this. <laughs> glug, glug. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so he's he's understandably pissed. He wants to go in and, and he's like, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to talk to this this doctor and give her what for. And he's about to. He's like, Dr. Catherine Pulaski. He's about to like give her this dressing down. And she's like, hold on a second. You got to hear this. Because <laughs> right. it's way more important. <laughs> And arguably it is, right? Like it, yep. it, it, it's set up that this is everything that's happening to uh, to Deanna Troy. She is pregnant and having a child. Um, and then it goes to another very interesting, <gasps> strange scene in the conference room. Oh, uh, I love that scene. Yeah, no, it's so good, but it's so awful, right? With with Troy, with Deanna by herself at the end mm-hmm. of that table as they talk about her. Yep. And then as she sort of detaches from, like it's, beautifully done and it's awful to watch it's Perfect. so fucking orson wells like rick berman is taking all the orson wells shit out of the bag and throwing it at the wall yep. and it all kind of works and it's great the big depth of field uh like it's it's yeah. so awesome she purposely separates herself she sits further away mm-hmm. and the heartbeat gets louder and the voices get uh, more muffled the more they talk about controlling her body and what they will do and the decisions they will make for her as she gets more into herself. And uh, it is, it's an awakening for the character of Troy. Oh, like, yeah. This whole time that those muffled sounds keep coming in, the, the character of Deanna Troy gets bigger and bigger until she's like exploding out of the sides of the Enterprise. It is a perfect scene for this actress. Yeah. Absolutely. And she, go ahead, Eric. But it's also shitty because in the 80s with the abortion shit, there was never any question that she was going to keep it. So they invert that that whole situation too uh, so that she's fighting for the autonomy to keep the child instead of well to make her own choice there's nothing wrong with making no the choice i know to do it's that. it's that, just that's not a stand really correct the, the men in that in that scene are saying some awful things if you listen yes. to what yes. Worf yeah. that's in particular is saying thing. is like we must it's abort the, the child yeah. Here, i mean me, the fact that you're choosing the word abortion as the woman right. uh that you're both correct right <laughs> that yeah. that he's talking about uh they're talking about awful things and it, they're talking about her as though she's not there and what they're going to do with her. And they're, they're speaking about it as though the thing inside, you know, the baby inside of her is a thing to be dealt with simultaneously in the late eighties, there was no way in hell she was going to, as a character on television say, you're right. Let's get rid of this fucking baby. That's the best course (laughs) of action. Right. So like, so like you're simultaneously, we are looking at the, you know, choice as something that's being taken away from her but we're also not really be giving a choice because that choice was already made in 1988 for us it's the same thing Um, that that hollywood did with unions in the 70s uh going into the 80s the the union people in the movies were the bad guys mm. uh uh, you know uh, you get things like armed and dangerous or uh you know, uh, blue collar, things like I'm that. I'm not sure you can equate unions to abortion. Yeah, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying <laughs> the conservative uh, right. movement in the 80s meant that you can approach those issues, but you have to come at it from the, the right. Well, well, I will say, though, I, I actually <sighs> admire the fact that the, that it's 
I believe it's Worf who says we should get rid of the baby. Um, that it's very reasonable. Like it's the way he's talking about it is because this it's unknown. We don't know what this is. Um, that the voice of sort of reason on the other side is like we should get rid of this baby, which is kind right. of progressive in and of itself. And so it, we'll uh, take little wins where we can get them. This right. isn't uh, you know she didn't become pregnant because she fell in love with somebody or had some uh, agreed upon <laughs> twist. She was violated, and you know now there's this thing. So everything about it was, uh, from the data, was uh, is an abusive uh, experience. Like there is no consensuals, uh, um, you know, and and various other farm animals. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what I always saying? default to Big Lebowski when I can't oh. get out of something. <laughs> Uh, my question, I have I have a, a Troy specific question about what what this moment is that that truly wonderful moment cinematographically and 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 auditorily as the heartbeat gets yeah. louder and and the voices become um, is she talking to the baby? Is she talking to is she communicating? That's what I want to know. Uh, is the empath uh, is the betazoid in her? able to begin to communicate with that child that's my curiosity i i think that's implied for sure that she's feeling this is it's not just a problem to be dealt with like this is a being that she loves she's discovering maybe yeah. actually in this scene that she loves this child despite how it how it occurred right and i and i love how it mirrors i mean i think jimmy you've said this before like that when you see an ultrasound of your child for the first time there is something transcendent about that. And that's that's the imagery that you're shown is this 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 fetus. Uh, and there is something like, oh, wait, this is this is real. Like I didn't re you know, you don't maybe this is just the, the male perspective because I don't have those feelings of something growing inside me. But I was like, holy shit, <laughs> I love this thing. And I and it's just a two dimensional picture of black and white shapes. But, you know, you immediately get that connection. Eric. Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, uh, <laughs> I was just pausing. I wasn't that uh, because uh, I was thinking of something a little bit earlier. Uh, I think it was super interesting uh, the way they approached um, the the Betazoid uh, angle in particular because you're absolutely right that that is something that was implied, but I did not pick that up at all until you guys just started talking about it. So I love that they either didn't go too hard because it doesn't matter for plot. It's just like, if you catch that really cool, uh, you know, cause they'll deal with that more later after it's born. Uh, or if I just didn't pick it up, <laughs> but either way, I, I really like uh, that it wasn't at least too heavy handed. Well, I respect that uh... Picard has been shown a lot in season one when he's confronted with a decision from uh, someone he respects. He immediately is like, well, that's it. And he does that when when Troy says uh, that Madonna song quote that she's keeping this baby. <laughs> he's like, well, that's it. Discussion discussions yeah. over. Uh, despite the fact mm -hmm. that it's growing very, very fast, as Pulaski points out. But no one is really quite understanding how fast it's growing. Uh, but then we jump to uh, our other plot here, which is the fact that they are trying to create this containment system. Seymour uh, uh, Castle uh, wants to inspect said uh, 
containment field. It takes a long time. It takes 14 hours. He's going to make sure because any of this virus that gets loose on the ship will kill everyone on the ship in the matter of hours, which Pulaski wonderfully points out uh, in a later scene. Um, but that's a nice way to give a time jump here, uh, which then brings us to the birth of this child. I love that Data is the yes. character that, that, that consoles so her. He had to be. He had to be. There's no other choice. No, it's perfect. You know, more than anyone else in, in this scene, it struck me so hard and I'm never going to be able to forget it. But Brent Spiner's work in this reminds me of no one more than Alan Tudyk. Uh, mm. And mm. in this episode, mm. I was like, this is exactly how he would play this because I've just started watching Resident Alien. If you... Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. It's we just finished. And, and oh, it's, it's so fucking good. It's a very similar physical presence to yeah. Data, just a little bit more bonkers. Uh, anyway. Yeah. And I think before, I, think we kinda, I don't know if we've hit it yet or, or glossed over it, but there's that initial meeting between Pulaski and Data. Is that right now where right. we have yeah. that, uh, that exchange of how to say his name? And this is one of the, this scene is anchored in my memory as why I didn't like Pulaski. Mm. Like one of the reasons was her dismissal of how to say his name. And all I remembered was the rudeness of, of you know you're not you're not real you're not important enough and so i'll say your name however i want Rewatching it i went away with a totally different experience of her exchange with with data she did was a bit dismissive of how to say it but open to well you know to debate of well why does it matter and when he said something it intrigued her and she was open to the possibility that he could be right and, and that immediately i started changing my view and thinking maybe that was a 18 year old white kid who just didn't understand what, you know, like I, I was, I was heaping stuff on this Pulaski character that now looking back, I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't dislike this person. Like yeah. I thought I did like, like, Picard, like it's, she, she learns, right? Like yeah. she comes in with that scene, not caring about what data's feelings are, perhaps not realizing that, he has feelings, right? And I think that's her her sarcasm about like, oh, is this are these a broken heart that I'm feeling, or is this bruised feelings? Uh, and I think that's her realizing that this is not just a robot, like this is an actual, you know, a android life form. Despite the fact that she shrugs it off uh, and even says like, oh, whatever, however you pronounce it, that's fine. Um, I think she grows, you know, a little bit at that moment, which is good to see. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice counterpoint. Like having somebody who doesn't immediately glom onto data being the end all be all actually helps us to understand his growth more. Yeah. Like it, it's a nice little fulcrum that wasn't there before. Uh, and I didn't appreciate that until rewatching. And, and she even, I mean, Pulaski and Pulaski did. even says, you know, like, oh, she's not going to want you as the person she doesn't want the cold hand of technology i think she says which right. is a very writerly line that ended ended in there uh yeah. you know so kudos to you maurice hurley or 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 uh any of the original screenwriters who got that in there somehow well uh, and there's an in that same line greg she says in my other deliveries except for a couple the father was always present like this is the 23rd century every couple had a father yeah that's <laughs> like true like you Every species, I'm sure, and, and this just speaks to 1988 as opposed to 2021. Right. Whereas yeah. now we we just know, and it's not the stupid ass word woke culture. It's just being 
aware of other people's feelings and how you should treat the world in general that of course there would be a lot of families that have babies without a fucking father That's and true. not because they're missing a parent. Here, here. I love <laughs> the fact you mentioned Brent Spiner's uh, performance in this, Eric, like this, there's not a lot of comedic moments in this episode, but the funniest one is when he starts peppering Troy with questions being like, how does it feel? Are you kind of mean kidding with it right now? And I, I just love that escalation of annoyance. And also when that baby gets born, well, first of all, this is a weird fucking birth, which Pulaski is full on like that oh, yeah. was too easy. You got Worf that, there with that, phasers drawn. Oh, Worf hates that like, baby. There are so <laughs> many there are so many people in that room, including Will Riker, who came through a side door apparently. Lurking. I don't know where like He's lurking. lurking. Wait, wait. Didn't come through the door. Everyone else did. But like just kind of like skulking in the fucking corner. We have to talk about the eye contact as that baby goes out. They are yes. soap opera eyes. It's upsetting. Like it the, is. the whole birth is like, and she's I don't know. It's like that she's got mild indigestion or like, like, oh, I farted. Like, I don't know. Like, it's sort of, but she's amused by it. Like, it's no epidural, disconcerting. Yeah. But no pain, but, right? That's but what... once that baby is born, Data loves that baby, y'all. I think every person Data in that room loves that, loves baby. that baby. Right? Everybody yeah. does. Worf does. I think Worf falls in love uh, with Deanna Worf Troy in this baby. moment. No, I think Worf loves Troy in this moment. And, oh, and we're going to deal with canon. He's still, he's still crushing on Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, get on him. And then Riker comes in and gives her a kiss, which I felt was very presumptuous. I was like, dude, you didn't even she ask to be there. I love that she's like, oh, were you here the whole time? Uh -huh. yum, Did you yum, see yum, my yum. I'd be like, were you to. here the whole time? Yes. <laughs> I think she just read that line wrong. <laughs> you didn't even tell me I was doing great. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very strange birth, but that baby is there and and they it's a very good effects. I don't know if it's a a, a real baby or 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 the, a model. Uh, I know that's always hard to do in production, but it looks very convincing in this in this rendition. And you see it and I I love that baby. I want that baby right now. <laughs> I want to snuggle with it. All I know is that baby stops being a baby real fast. Real fast. Yeah, right. right. So, that's my kind of that's my kind of baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jimmy Picard, says these ones here is getting too old to cuddle. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I will. I'll still cuddle him to death. It doesn't matter. Uh, the Picard gets the report and is like, "All right, I think it's time to go pay my respects to this baby." Travels with uh, Doctor Pulaski to Troy's uh, quarters just to check in, and he's got that great reveal of seeing yeah. a toddler when he expects to see he's an like infant. Four years old. And he barely holds it together. Picard does. He's like, "Oh, oh, oh, my goodness." <laughs> That's great dramatic music in that scene as it builds up to how come they're not showing the kid. Uh, and both uh, uh, Picard and Pulaski add to that drama with their reaction to the kid, which is great because that's sci-fi stuff there. Like, wow, you're a toddler. This 
this isn't right. <laughs> like all the spaceship that we've seen still, this is kind of blowing my mind and freaking me out. And right. I loved it. I Everybody it was looks just at each really, other. Yeah. Everybody looks at each other like this is what we're going to talk about now. Right. Right. Like, we can all agree that the next, <laughs> right. the next bit of dialogue is going to be about, about this. Yes. Cause yes. this should be freaky. And then, it, and then <laughs> there, and then Picard has that line where it's like, wait, it can talk. And it, it, it's the first time he calls it an it, which is probably not a good thing to begin with. But that's what we're all thinking. We're like, wait a second, what? No, it's 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 fully cognizant now, and it's got that element of uh, horror movie, uh, you know, The Shining kind of like, do you want to play with the me? Omen. Thing going on here. Well, the, omen. the, the kid, there's nothing baby. more terrifying. The kid, the fucking kid, who's now fucking four years old, says, "Please don't worry." Everything is okay. Right. Nope, I'm out. Mm-mm. I'm out. Sorry, buddy. Fuck That's you. Omen, baby. Let me see your wrist. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you got 666 uh, somewhere? <laughs> I believe you're speaking about uh, R.J. Williams, who played uh, Ian as a little one. Oh, uh, He did a bunch of stuff and then went on to produce, and uh, he became a Hollywood marketing guy for young actors. Oh. And he's contacts. like, I was a child. I was actually the child. That's it. Remember. I was the child, the titular <laughs> child. Because <laughs> then the next time we see that titular child, he's like seven, right? Right. He's playing with I puppies. Think that's Ian. You know. Oh, and I would have watched an entire episode about the puppy. Let's be clear. Space right? puppies. Stop it. Yeah. Space puppies are stupid. Yeah. Why are they stupid, this- Jimmy? How is that not breaking the prime directive? You can't even take wood from West Seattle to another forest in Washington because you might spread bugs that aren't native to that area and destroy the forest. How does not a dog wreak havoc on foreign worlds? I got this one. And (laughs) this dog is procreating. Eric, yes. The counterpoint is puppies. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be my argument, too. You had me a pee. Yeah, yeah, me a pee. <laughs> Have you seen there? There was there was an issue of Hulk about seven eight years ago, where they they tried out a new uh, Hulkbuster situation and they they pushed it out of this plane and it's an entire uh, uh, you know huge dumpster you're assuming full of explosives and it and it comes down and the parachute goes and it hits and the Hulk goes up to it and it like makes a flash of steam and opens and he's back ready to punch and the door opens and it's like 50 puppies and they come down the little ramp and, and surround his little legs and he turns back into Bruce Banner and then they gas him. <laughs> genius. <laughs> it's genius. Yeah. I, I, go ahead. I just feel bad because there's all these kids with puppies, and then there's one little boy who's just looking at 3D shapes in the corner, and he's like, ooh, a cone. <laughs> but he can't a even cylinder. touch it. It's just like a cylinder and a cone that are like 3D, and he's looking at them, and then there's like puppies in the corner, and I'm like, nobody likes Freddy. <laughs> he's yeah. going to be that kid from uh, the first uh, Toy Story, isn't he? <laughs> Playing with no shapes. one understands. Yeah, either that or he's a computer genius, and we just don't know. Like he was, he was programming whole things. I know. I, I noticed that too. I think that was the direction of like, show me games that would be played in the future. <laughs> oh, digital shapes in the floating in the air. <laughs> Same. So that puppy scene. The the poor teacher is just like he loves it here, and you know he says, "I love it here. I want to be with puppies all the time." And and I you know I think we all can agree with that. 
It seems like he's grown a whole bunch since he was just playing with puppies. Troy takes him home to make dinner. Pulaski and Picard uh, come to visit again just to check on in on him. And uh, all this talk about puppies and how it's wonderful for children's development as well as Hulk busting. Captain Picard never played with puppies. WTF. It makes sense. Does it? You got puppies at a winery. I ain't never yeah, been French to a winery. French people don't have no puppies. puppies. The French are notorious for hating dogs. <laughs> That's true. That's why they lost World War II. Spreading lies. Uh, so, and then uh, Ian puts his finger into the hot soup. Uh, Kids are stupid. Which, I mean, I've done that myself. I don't know. But uh, he's like, ow, and he cries. I'm missing part of my thumb. It's very upset. Mommy, mommy. It was, and, you know, that was a very convincing uh, uh, bit of child acting. It doesn't always work, but at least I was like, oh, yeah, that kid looks like he actually hurt himself. Um, uh, we did. And Troy little, consoles little him. Fact, they had razor blades in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> little known fact. It was actually toxic waste. So he's, uh, so he's a little toxic production Avenger. nuggets Jimmy keeps dropping. This is all I need. <laughs> Uh, you know, they say he wanted to do that on purpose, which kind of comes in, in, into effect later when we learn more about Ian and where he came from. Uh, but he's like, my face is wet, mommy. And so he's never <laughs> cried before. And he's eight years old, which is uh, amazing. Yeah, but he's only, what, 14 hours. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he's experiencing, he's, he's sucking the marrow out of life for these 14 hours. But then there's a problem with the containment field. Back to the A plot here. We get a great uh, reaction shot from Seymour Cassell at the end of this act where it's like, how big is the problem? Or, you know, how critical is this situation? Very. Yeah. <laughs> and earlier on, he goes, I'll share my records, okay? Like, I, I wrote down, there's no reason this should have been Seymour Cassell, but I could not be happier it is. Which is very true. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll let you see my databanks. Yeah. Got it? Take <laughs> off, eh? It's so amazing. <laughs> but he delivers this line very well. And this is the, it's a, it's a great shot that's like underneath. So you get the full like depth of his mustache kind of taking over the screen. It's, it's glorious. Well done, Rob Bowman for directing that shot. Um, and they don't know why they don't know why this one contagion, uh, out of the many samples they have in this containment field is going bonkers. They find out uh, it has something to do with a certain form of radiation. I forget what it is. It's Lycaster or, or Lyster. I don't Space know. Space puppy radiation. Space yes. puppy radiation. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we learn uh, later on, but I think there there's time to now talk about. It's a big scene. Wesley Crusher and Gannon yes. in 10 Forward. Incredible. I thought you were about to skip the scene and I was going to get so to, fucking mad. Because we're going long. Because the scene is fucking amazing. It's so good. We'll be Goldberg. It's so good. This scene is like, and it's two scenes really. The uh, inner uh, with with the the reveal in between. There, there's a moment where first he sort of is all emo about wanting to leave, um, and she sort of finds that out. And then there's the continuation of that scene where he's sitting eating his, I don't know, Sunday souffle, gazpacho, yeah, no, it's a Sunday, yeah, souffle, the souffle. Yeah, uh, and she's she's talking to him, but that scene is just so real and so quiet and lovely and small but full and just and it's just beautiful and it and this gives me now a little bit of that crusher closure right mm. like at least we get this moment to recognize that there's some pain here 
Um, it's just a beautiful, it's just so well acted. It's just so well written. Yeah, Eric, what do you got? I, I just think there's a, a thing among sci-fi fans of our age where in a very real way, Guinan helped raise us. You know, yes. like no mm. character on this show to me spoke more directly to me in a way that I went, oh, I hadn't thought about that life question before. That's interesting. And I know next to nothing about this character. And that's kind of interesting, too, because they drop a little hints. Mm -hmm. And this actor is so inscrutable. Like, it's Guinan is my, I, I mean, it's not even close. She's my favorite Star Trek character. Wow. So, like, and it's because of that kind of shit. Like, I feel like she half raised me more, uh, half raised yeah. me more than any other sci fi character in the 90s. There's two moments for me in this scene, which I want to mention, which is the way that she uses annoying dialogue to prove a point is a character trait for hers that will mm. go throughout this entire series. And we see it from the get go where she's like, I'm just going to be annoying you. And then and then she turns it around. It's like a great like little almost sophist way of just being like, well, don't you always do what you're expected to do? And it's mm -hmm. impossible to do that and do it with charm. And she, and does, she it. does. Yes. Uh, which is great. And then the second episode uh, scene where uh, we get a little bit of that exposition, right? We, and I think actually she's lying through a lot of this, but we'll get to that later uh, about where she is and where she comes from. Um, then she's, you know, he's, he's called away. Wesley Crusher has to go to the bridge. He returns to say, thank you. You know, you've done a lot, you know, and she's like, oh, for the soap fight. No, for, for giving me this advice, for raising me. And she says, and this is directly to the audience, that's why I'm here. And it was such a, and when I realized that, I'm like, oh, this is, this is why she's here. This is, the, 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 this character was missing from this cast. And that's why she is this giver of advice uh, in, a, in a motherly matron way. Uh, also very cool. And the fact that she can get people drunk on Synth Hall. So. Right. But immediately <laughs> set up for later things. Like they immediately allude to, nobody knows how old you are. Nobody, like there, there's this mystery around her and we see, in this in this season later on, we see that there's way more to Guinan mm -hmm. than uh, than just a barkeep. Right, oh, yeah. we get that with the relationship with Q, which I can't wait uh, oh. until that shows up. Oh, it's out. wonderful, and and the reference to you know the bald man was kind to me once, like that. You know, she doesn't put any importance on it, and it's so clearly such an important line, and it doesn't pay off for years. You know, right. and it's so cool. Yes, that's a good point because that's so much fun when you get a nugget mm -hmm. that, you know, you can geek out five years later like, oh, my gosh, that's the bald guy. <laughs> dun, dun, yeah. dun. I, I love it, too. And I love that it's not too exposition, even though there is clearly designed to give some of that information out there. It doesn't feel contrived, which I which I appreciated. Um, and then we move, of course, to uh, the realization uh, that Ian has, Ian is the one who gives this information, the child, to Deanna Troy. I'm the problem. I'm why everyone, I'm feel. I'm a half betazoid, so I can feel the emotions of what's going on in the ship, and it's me. I'm, I'm the problem. And uh, he basically tells her it's time for him to go, which she interprets as death immediately. Yeah. Yeah, why wouldn't she? I know. I know. Calls in uh, the doctor and the and, and the captain. We get this wonderful emotional scene uh, that is, I, I, I mean, throughout we've seen Marina Sirtis do very well with this part, but I think this scene is the one that actually brings it home for me. What did you guys think? Well, Kate, what about you? I see you crying over there. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just it's just it's it's yet another one where there's a really interesting moment after he dies where yet again there's this distance where they're all standing there and they're looking at her in her grief and it's just like uh, the third moment where we see her sort of separated out and and having this experience alone in a room crowded full of people um and it it just she handles it really beautifully and uh and it's hard to watch which means it's she's doing it well <laughs> agreed eric what do you think and those visuals in particular like it really calls to mind the kind of expressionist sci-fi of the 30s that then came back in the 70s with the Geiger stuff. Uh, and, you know, the the unease that comes with with the composition of shots like that, with one person being so close to the camera and others being so far away, but still in focus. Mm. Uh, in particular, that's a that's a piece that they do often and then adding camera movement to that. It, it just it, it's like suddenly you're in Metropolis or you're, you know, you're an alien uh, for just a moment. And it's really neat. It's super effective. Yeah. And it tracks with all the amazing camera movements and things uh, that they're doing here to make it feel <clears throat> very cinematic. Jimmy, what did you think of this scene? Uh, it brought it home for me. I mean, like I, I, I said earlier, I don't think that Detroit character was really developed or done well in the first season and right off the bat they uh, give her a meaty something to grab onto and uh, I thought she was brilliant and she crushed it and uh, this scene was just one of many where uh, my opinion of that character was utterly uh, changed uh, and we did a 360 wow um, this episode she, is a real turning point for you. So good. Yeah. I mean, you know, different characters. Like, yeah. We'll talk about it at the end. This was, uh, she, she did fantastic. This was a touching moment. And um, just one of many where she actually showed her acting chops. Or was then, allowed to show her acting chops, as you say. Like, given the opportunity to actually show you what this person going to do and why she was actually cast in this role. For sure. She knocked it out of the park. Um, she does have also a really hard job of closing out what happened here. Like she, we don't get the child saying it. She has to say it through tears, yeah. um, which is not an easy thing to do as an actor. Right. Right. The fact that you have to, to be, be like, understood. I mean, the, you know, the novice actor just cries and thinks, oh, it's beautiful that I cry. But uh, it's never great when you can't be understood. Um and the audience needs to know what the story is. So her giving us that emotion while still clearly communicating what we're supposed to take away. Yeah. That's what's uh, uh, that's what makes a great actor. And that's what made me appreciate her even so much more. Uh, Eric, what did you think about the completion of this plot that that this was a this was a uh, energy entity that wanted to just experience life from being a human? Uh, do you think that this scene kind of finishes that that out? Well, I completely agree with whatever Jimmy just said. <laughs> <laughs> Mark it down. <laughs> this just happened. Uh, no, Mark I it zero. It's, you know, I don't think there's much of a way to complete this plot in a particularly satisfying way. So, like, Sure. <laughs> it was fine. It's functional. Fully, yeah, fully functional. Know, fully functional. <laughs> at least 
yeah, I don't know, man. It's creepy. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's meaningful for us as the audience watching it, as well as as uh, for for Troy. I mean, I think this totally. is a, is an, a, an important changing moment for her, um, and we'll see the development of of this character more over the over the following seasons. But then, you know, so that completes also the a plot. The weird energy uh, that was given off by uh, this entity of Ian. Once just that's weird gone, energy. He's just giving off weird. weird. Yeah. It was like a lava lamp, but like turned to the side. It like didn't make any it's just sense. Just weird energy. <laughs> um, but that that fixes what was going on wrong with the containment problem. Seymour Cassell is very happy. His 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 mustache is nice and trim and and uh, combed now. Uh, but then Once we get again, the final. We learn that correlation is in fact causation. In, in this case, it is. Yeah. In this case. Um, but we get the the C plot kind of resolved by Wesley Crusher wanting to speak to Captain Picard. Uh, and he says he doesn't want to leave the Enterprise. He wants to stay here. He feels like he fits in. And Picard at first is very dismissive of it. In fact, just dismisses him. He's like, yeah, okay, fine. Get out of here. And I think Crusher leaving, showing his butt while he's doing it, but leaving without arguing is the reason why Picard is more lenient in, in letting him go. I think I think that respect there, as well as a line earlier, which we didn't talk about, which which uh, Crusher in the in the turbo lifts uh, scene says, um, the Enterprise is not just any ship. And Picard says, how true, you know? And I think that he's like, oh yeah, right. he, he gets it. He He's on board. Um, so yeah, we don't know how it's gonna be resolved, but then immediately Picard comes out and addresses the entire bridge crew Wesley Crusher he loves asked. that shit. He loves to close. <laughs> he loves to hold his cards close to his chest, right? Like dismissing Wesley, and out Wesley goes. And, I, and yes, I think there was a, a certain amount of like, well, I respect that. He didn't. He didn't throw a fit. Uh, but I think also there's a little <laughs> bit of, well, how can I play this? Because he just loves to come out and say, "Oh, Mister Crusher wants to say, what say we all?" Like it's just. <laughs> He lives, that shit. <laughs> he lives for it. I just yeah. love the no coward as Picard. It's just so perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he does. He asks everybody. Is like you know he is going to be here. Who's going to up? Who's going to raise him as a child? Who's going to tuck him into bed? More? Yeah, and he, and he turns he around and he's like, starship. "Come on, you guys! It takes a starship <laughs> to raise a child. It does. It well, does indeed. I mean, and how all... quickly are they all going to die if he leaves the ship? I mean, they're realists if nothing else. He's the golden child. He'll never." Let them die. Uh, so yeah, Worf gets in on it. Riker then says, yes, I think I'll do that. I'll be able to help him, my boy. Uh, and they all agree. And I put forth that the title of this episode, The Child, is really about Wesley Crusher being a child of the entire crew now, including Guinan, including, you know, uh, soon to be other characters that he'll interact with. But they all have to take up the realm of... of Canon. Of what? <laughs> Canada. <laughs> Canon, and they all felt it when uh, you know uh, Troy had her her child as well. I think everyone was like, "Oh, well, yeah, we need some new blood in this situation." So uh, Wesley Crusher is going to be it uh, going forward, and I think that was very you know kind of a nice way to really balance three plots in this episode. Yeah, plus some heavy duty introductions. Exactly. Yeah. We didn't even talk about Miles O'Brien. We didn't even talk about Miles O'Brien. He gets one talk scene. About him. Uh, this was the first time uh, that the the motion of dragging your fingers up on the console was done to energize the transporter, and it's how they use it throughout. It was not in the first season, but this is also an introduction to that. Hell yeah. 
gesture uh, Cone based programming. Meanie. Cone meanie doing genius. it up. I could watch his hands energize that console board well, uh, as much as he can when he's playing the bass in the what's it called? The replacements. I'll just be over here drying myself in Riker's beard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's it. That's The Child, the first episode of season two of Star Trek Next Generation. Let's go around the horn and give final thoughts. I will say it, it was uh, a, a really great introduction. I love the cinematic nature, which we've talked about. The the Having all these characters impact the plot from the beginning uh, while they're being introduced was really well done. I like the sci-fi weirdness of both the the the, the plague and the the child, and it, it was a really uh, you know solid episode for me. So I'll throw it to you, you Kate. I'm gonna give this one seven Rikers beards uh, because I, I and I would give it more. Honestly, this is a great fucking episode, uh, but for the way they handled the Pulaski Crusher. Uh, crossover, which I think again did Pulaski no favors and and made it very difficult for an amazing actor to succeed in a role uh, because of a clumsy rollout. But other than that, um, this episode it is one of my favorite episodes, um, just in terms of finally getting to see everybody gel and Guinan. I'd forgotten it was his first episode, and I'm with you, Eric. Like Guinan. Uh, I think we even talked at one point about naming this podcast "Guided by Guinan" because um, because <laughs> Guinan was such a huge, you know, influence. So yeah, seven out of ten Riker's beards. Love it, Jimmy. What about you? I'm going to give it five space puppies. Which, as we space all puppies. know, when you uh, translate that into regular ratings, is a nine. Oh, in in puppy uh, years. I think that uh, this episode is amazing because uh, we see Troy blossom and really become uh, a character that I think it, it now brings value, not because she didn't before, because the, the writing staff never invested in her. They finally gave her an opportunity to shine. Uh, I do it partly because, a nine, partly because uh, the opposite of nostalgia, whatever that word is. Uh, I had thought one thing of Pulaski, looking back on it now, I'm thinking something entirely different, and that is refreshing and kind of exciting. Um, I thought that they, for the first time, or one of the rare times uh, comparing it to season one, they had parallel storylines that only not only played off each other, they resolved each other. They informed each other and came to a conclusion at the same time, which is amazing. Uh, and it had fun sci-fi stuff. You know, being penetrated by a ball of light and then having a kid grow up, uh, you know, in 14 hours and then sacrifice himself because he's being a danger to the people that he's trying to understand. That's sci-fi and that's a nine. Whoa. Eric, what about you? Well, since Greg opened up my mind that the child might not be the little ball of light, uh, I need to now side with Jimmy once more and give this, uh, let's go with nine titular puppies. Um, <laughs> I think the child in this episode was certainly uh, one or all of the puppies. And uh, I really quite enjoyed myself all the way through. I'm going to use the rest of my little outgoing thing to talk a little bit more about Diana Moldar, who I feel like I gave the short shrift early on. I think yeah. you got to check out, among other things, the wonderful trivia in her career are things like she has an episode of Gunsmoke that is featured in the wall 
if if you know the uh, the album uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall, in between Hey You and um, Is There Anybody Out There, there's a little snippet from Gunsmoke, and mm. the the voice you hear of the woman is Miss Diana Moldar, oh, <laughs> former president of the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. Uh, if you haven't seen Born Free, if you haven't seen The Swimmer with her and Burt Lancaster, uh, One More Train to Rob is another incredible movie. Like she took a step away from acting just a couple years after this and never really looked back, but she's still kicking. Uh, I'd love to see her do more stuff. And then, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg, we mentioned very briefly her stand-up stuff. It's very improvisational and based in character. It's got its roots in like Lily Tomlin and Red Fox and like... It's incredible if you can track it down. There's a little Dean Martin in there. It's just, it's mm. very free form and incredible. She's good in the stand right now. And then Cole Meany, at the very least, you've got to go check out the um, the trilogy, the Berrytown trilogy, right? The Commitments, the Snapper, and the Van. He plays the same character. He's got the through light through all of those. And uh, just what an incredible group of uh, guest stars and series regulars we got introduced to. Very true. And I think the Whoopi Goldberg connection here paved the way for Tignataro uh, being on Discovery uh, season two and season three. Uh, I love that it's got that energy of just in- infusing it with this comedian, but in a way that you haven't seen before mm-hmm. um, really uh, was super cool. I didn't really kind of realize that until just now. Comic actors make the best dramatic actors. They really do. I mean, it's Tom true. awesome well thank you all for being here for this first episode of season two very excited about continuing this journey on re-engage with all of you and we have another episode coming up next it's an episode it's called where (laughs) silence has lease and i have no memories of what it is about and i can't wait it's a great title. By title, I do not recognize it. Yay. I know. I know. We got a lot of great episodes coming up. Measure of a Man coming up in this in this season. Elementary Dear Data, where they, oh. they do Sherlock ah, Holmes. So uh, Q returning. Q so, returns. Yeah. yeah. Got a lot to look forward to until we get to the last episode, but we'll uh, gloss over that terrible clip show later on. <laughs> Thank you all for being here. Uh, we are calling this... <laughs> The end of this episode, Jimmy. Uh, (laughs) Jimmy wet his pants. Jimmy wet his pants. We are wet all over. Thanks for joining our Cultural Bridge officers for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing the mission with another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We want to hear from our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, hailing frequencies are open. You can email letsreengage at gmail.com or if you're more social media minded, follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun. Eric Grattan emails the best way to ask him a question. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is Jimmy at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Greg Tito is Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry, Krista from Glee on Twitter, and Krista.curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by MojoJojo97 on Twitter, or you can find her at Mojo97.com. And our theme music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's Beard to Reengage. <laughs>